Hello, hello everyone. I'm very excited today, very, very excited indeed, because we are welcoming back the one, the only, Laura Kate Dale. I'm back. Oh, it's so good to have you back on the show. After conquering the ocean deep, I believe that's where you were. You you were leading a a, a rebellion against the Ocean King. Yeah, yeah. It it you know it, it it was quite the struggle. Um, having to go all the way up to the surface of the ocean to, to hold my breath to swim back down to scold the Ocean King was a time-consuming process. Yeah, yeah. You know, I really should have, like, saved up and got a scuba tank or something first, but we got the job done eventually. I mean, the fact you were able to hold your breath for a week was very impressive. Uh, I, I wish I had that lung control. Look, I've been, I've been prepping for this for a while, you know, mm-hmm. like, you know, sticking my face in the bathtub and holding my breath and just, you know, seeing how long I could do that for, you know. Well, yeah, I mean, if you're going to overthrow a saltwater dystopia, then you're going to want to uh, get some practice. Exactly. And now the seas are a lawless uh, a lawless space. There are no that. laws in the ocean. You can thank me for that later. Yeah, Brilliant. a little, little behind the scenes on the production of the podcast. Uh, for the last, like, two, three months, as soon as we have been ceasing recording, Laura's been going into her bathroom and sticking her head in the tub and just holding it almost until the next recording session. Yeah. And she's been doing this while researching ingress into the webway to uncover the secrets of the Eldar's Black Library. Like, the amount that Laura does. Exactly. It cannot be overstated quite how much work I have put into definitely real acts of overthrowing various regimes. I mean, that's two genres. Like, Laura is active across fantasy and sci-fi. Like, like, let's, (laughs) let's show some appreciation for that. Uh, Hello, Laura. Hey, I'm back. It's so good to have you back. I spent a week out out in the world, not yeah. doing work. Out on adventures. I spent a whole week doing no work. Well, you deserve it. You deserve a week off. I I, I did have to do the thing where I was like, I'm going to be really strict and not work at all. And then I came back and looked at my inbox and oh, went, God. Oh God, what have I done? Oh no. Yeah, we don't. Yeah, we don't want that. No. Um, you didn't miss too much while you were away. You know. Yeah. Um, I've spent the week mostly being dogpiled by turfs on social media. Oh, yeah, no, I've I've had some of that too. Business as usual. Yeah, I was trying to work out why I was being shouted at yesterday, and then it turns out I've been quoted in The Times in some article about J.K. Rowling. Oh, lovely stuff. And they hadn't given me a heads up, and you know what? I would have been annoyed about that. Except it's the first time that any, like, major outlet has referenced me, and I haven't just been trans activist laura they referred to me as trans author hey. and i was like you know what i'll give you that you put my profession ahead of the thing i am forced to do for my own safety right i will give you credit for that not for anything else you do yeah i mean that's the thing like it's been put i know casey explosion friend of the show has pointed that out before like you can't you can't be trans and prominent and speak up for yourself without being labeled in the media a trans activist oh for uh, sure whether you are or not yeah, like this wasn't me being an activist. I did one Twitter thread that they were just like, yeah, that's going to be the basis of an article. Yeah. But I at least got credited as an author, so I'll take it. That's good. That That's nice. That's better than I usually see. Just, just being seen <laughs> as more than you're having to advocate for your own existence. Hooray! Yeah. I get to do other things. <laughs> awesome. Um, yeah, yeah. Yeah. I'm glad you had a nice, a nice week off. 
Uh, I don't. I, d- I didn't know how much you wanted to say about where you were or what you were doing. Uh, I, I, I'll, I'll say as much as I had an entire week that was nothing to do with work, Beautiful. and that, like, sometimes when I, you know, I take some time off, I'll end up inevitably being like, whatever I did with my time off becomes content in some way, shape, yeah. or form. And I'm like, nah, not this time. This is. Oh, you're just keeping it for you. This was just time off for me. Aww. I never do that, and I had ads. Had some me time. I spent some time with um, lovely friend Mari, who folks who listen to Dice Funk might know, and we just had a very chill week. Mari has, uh, if I recall correctly, uh, been a guest on Podquisition as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mari was on Podquisition awesome. at some time in the past, yeah. and we just we just had a very relaxed week. I'm it was so very glad. nice, and now I have to deal with reality again. <laughs> Go away, reality. None of this. I had two good milestones this week myself. Yeah. Uh, I have done a flip. Ooh! I can now do a flip bump, which is a, a type of bump. Bumping is when you like get knocked down in wrestling and you fall a certain way. Yeah. I now do a flip bump, which is fully head over heels uh, and land on my back. And I've been able to do the roll, which I've turned into a rolling scent on. I can do a roll. But last Thursday, last week, I just went for a flip and I can now go head over heels with no handsies. Look at that! No handsies. That's fantastic. I'm incredibly proud. Incredibly proud. That's flipping awesome. Ah-ha-ha! Here we go, I'm back. I've got my wordplay. Oh, I mean, you you never lost it. It never left you. Um, The other big thing for me was uh, I live streamed without a wig on. Mm -hmm. Yes, I saw. Heck! Well done. I, it was very scary. And then I put a, a picture up on Twitter during a day where I was being viciously attacked by Turf. So that was even <laughs> scarier. Um, but yeah, I, I I finally showed off what, what that hair be doing uh, under the wig. And you look cute as hell. Oh, I mean, yeah. You Thank do. you. Thank you. Some people said I got a kind of Joan Jett thing going on. Mm-hmm. I reckon if I went a to bit. a stylist, I could, uh, I think I could rock that look. Yeah. I, I know how, how big a bigger deal that's been for you, and I'm I'm it so was, happy yeah. for you. Like you know, yeah, you know how I've struggled with hair dysphoria and everything, and it can it, it can be a lot. It's fucking I, rough. I know it's been a struggle, yeah. so I'm I'm very proud. Yay! And you know, like I was losing it all this time last year. Like I was yeah. proper with testosterone coursing through my body, yeah, poisoning me from the inside out. Um, you know, it was you know my hairlines come forward like. By I want to say inches at this point. Like we're talking inches. Um, yeah, it's filling out very nicely. As someone who once upon a time had a very receding hairline that had to fight its way back forward, you have my sympathies. I understand yeah. how it is, but it really does. It really can fight its way back forward if given a chance. Yeah, yeah. Like I don't want to. I know a lot of trans people saw it, uh, saw the the selfie, and were very sort of excited and hopeful. Like I want to say, there's no guarantee. No. I, I couldn't guarantee anyone that HRT and finasterides and everything will bring your hair back, but HRT is a hell of a thing. It certainly can do, and has done for many. And and yes, it there's definitely a hope there. Try not to expect, but there is... Yeah, if if you're thinking of doing HRT and you're hoping for hair, hair regrowth, it is very possible. Um, so yeah, a big... Big milestones for me. Conrad. Yeah. What have you been up to? Well, you remember last week I I said that I had uh, cut my thumb on a cheese grater. Yeah. Grating Parmesan cheese. 
Well, uh, the day that episode released, uh, I was making dinner and oh, no. grating Parmesan cheese, and oh, I no. cut the thumb at exactly the same <gasps> fucking spot. Oh, no. Just wider. Uh... Oh, God. <laughs> Mate, do not grate any Parmesan cheese this week. You'll lose. You'll start losing things. Yeah, it was, it was, it was a particularly hard parm. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, yeah. but I mean, it's 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 healed up now. For now, until the next time you get some cheese. <sighs> oh God! Amen to that. But but other, otherwise, yeah, yeah, life's yeah. Uh, life's just swell. That's it's just good. swell. I'm glad. Is my Steam Deck there yet? No, not yet. Oh, mate, my Steam Deck's ready, Laura. Oh, it's ready. Yeah, they won't ship to this country because I pre-ordered it when I was in the US. So it's got to go to Conrad first, then he's going to ship it to me. I'm very excited. I'm, I'm, I'm excited for you. My Steam Deck's on route. I, I, I know that we're not like properly in the games chat yet, but like I've been, I've been real happy with like how things have been coming along with the Steam Deck. Yeah, yeah. I'll send you a link at some point. Um, I got pointed towards a really good bit of um fan-made software. That has allowed me to have all of my like emulator stuff on the Steam Deck show up in gaming mode as if it was Steam games. Ooh. With like auto-generated, really nice like auto-pulling the artwork and automatically booting into whatever the best emulator for that game is. Oh, yes, please. It's a really nice program and it has like really made the emulation experience on there like a very seamless experience, which is really nice. That's awesome. Like that's awesome. A lot of what's on there is like Fans have stepped in to fill some of the shortcomings Valve has had, but the fan-made solutions are really good quality. Yeah, I mean, I've heard there's there's loads of good stuff out there. Like, I really like the the uh, emulation software that pulls artwork and synopses and things. Like, mm-hmm. it's really yeah. cute. Um, I've got like three handhelds coming my way. Yeah, because I've got the Steam Deck. I've got the Odin, which should ship to me this or next oh, month. I'm jealous. I've been wanting to. I've been. I want to check the Odin out. It's it's on my list of if I have money ones. <laughs> I, I backed that on Indiegogo, so I've been patiently waiting for it. And they yeah. they told me I'm in the second wave, which is this or next month. Uh, then there's that retro. Was it the Retro Pie? Uh, the the uh, Retroid. Retroid Two. Yeah, the Retroid. Yeah, Retroid Pocket Two Plus. I ordered one of those as well after you talked about it. So I'm gonna be swimming in in handhelds. This is the year of play date as well. At some point. Yes, I want my play date. I really want it. This is very much the year of just like, I, I want all of the weird little handhelds. Give me all the handhelds. Absolutely. Yeah. Who's, uh, who's played something this week? Um, we've all played, played a fair bit, I think. Yeah, I think we have. Yeah, we've, we've played a few things. I think we've got quite a bit of game chat coming along. Yeah. Um, who wants to start? You know what? I'll, I'll, I'll jump in this week. I'll, I'll jump it. in and start. I've mainly been playing a bunch of uh, little, like, rep retro games because i just wanted stuff that i could play in short bursts and not have to commit too much to on flights mm-hmm. yeah i imagine with travel that's always good i like having like my my Anne Bernick for my like flights to america and back like well, to the uk and back when i lived there like yeah yeah that saw me well it specifically like i was traveling with just hand luggage and as such like space was at a premium so i be i was playing a bunch of um like mainly up to game boy advance era stuff on the retroid and yeah i'll start with i've been but there's a genre of game that doesn't really exist anymore that I've been playing a few of and I wish would see a resurgence, which is video game adaptations of trading card games, mm. but specifically ones that are like their own RPGs, where rather than just doing countless matches against, N- like, you know, fighting against the computer with your card games, 
you've got like an overworld and you're walking around encountering NPCs and doing quests, but you just so happen to be playing a card game. And the main one that I really jumped back into was the Pokemon trading card game game on the original Game Boy. And I'm amazed that like this format didn't stick around because I feel like there'd be a market for it today still. Like I think people would dig it. It starts you off with like, rather than picking a starting Pokemon, you pick a starting element type of deck. And you basically go through doing your traditional Pokemon style of thing, going across the various areas of this big open world, fighting the various gyms, working your way up to the Elite Four, but building up a deck of cards as you go and building up your Pokemon collection through card gaming. One of the things I really like about it is that you have the ability to rematch trainers that you've already played against and still gain rewards for doing so. Mm -hmm. Which means that like, if there's a specific person that is giving rewards that are good for your deck type, you can stick with them and battle them a few times and sort of skew yourself toward the kind of rewards you're looking for at the moment. But yeah, I I really have a lot of nostalgia for this game, and it amazes me that like this particular string of Pokemon video game adaptation never went anywhere. Mm. That there was just this one game and it never came back. And yeah, I th- I think it kind of holds up. It's it's pretty fun. You, no, you 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 mentioned that structure, and apart from the overworld. Mm. Uh, element of sort of exploring environmentally yeah. and encountering people. Um, it's more mission-based events. Uh, but Coldcept, uh, what is it? The the one that's on 3DS that I have that I was talking about yes, the other week. Yes. Uh, Revolt, Coldcept Revolt, mm. might be something that you're interested in. I did put that down on my two-try list and I just haven't had time yet, but it sounded really interesting to me when you were talking about it. And it's what got me thinking about checking out these uh, card game based things on on my retro handheld. Yeah, because outside of having like an overworld, you know, it's it is telling stories and chapters. It's like more in line to how you would see uh like a fire emblem structured or something like that. But and I think it's like I I was thinking about why I was digging this and it I think it was the same sort of reason as why I was enjoying inscription. I like I like having some sense of progression when I'm doing a card game so that it doesn't just feel like I'm going nowhere with it. I feel like I'm putting my time into something and moving forward. Yeah. Like, I was also trying to work out, like, why did Pokemon never bring this back? And then I kind of realized, mm, they did. Mm, they sort of did. It's the mobile, the the virtual version of the card game on mobile where you have to either pay real money for oh, yeah. fictional cards or buy real cards and get a code for virtual cards. And I realized, like, oh yeah, monetization is why they never brought this back. Because, like, you'll, you'll occasionally see a, a, like a good unmonetized um, card game adaptation, but they're rarer and rarer these days. Super fucking rare. What, what was the one I played a little while ago? It was, um, let me have a look on my shelf. Yu-Gi-Oh! Legacy of the Duelist Link Evolution. On the Switch. Oh, I can only imagine the modern ones these days are just yeah. microtransaction to fuck. That was that was the one I played on Switch recently, the Yu-Gi-Oh! adaptation, that was actually really good. It had zero microtransactions full stop. It had a narrative. It let you play through all of like the arcs of the anime and the TV show and sort of play through all the climactic battles as you went. It was really nice. And then you look at every other Yu-Gi-Oh! game that has released on Switch since, and they have gone headfirst into the 
premium economy microtransaction bullshit. Yeah, it's sad. I, I cherish the good ones when they happen, because they're few and far between. And the thing is, is they are in some way copying the business model of the card games themselves, yeah. like the real one. And they, they often use, like we've seen Electronic Arts and, and stuff, um, like use the existence of these games to justify microtransactions. When, even though there are differences, like you've got a physical card, you can trade and swap those and everything. Yeah. The other difference is, no one ever said that's good either. No! Mm-mm. Mm. But but you know that's 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 the introduction of a secondary market, you know, where you could have ownership of uh, a game asset and then sell uh, it. On- oh no! <laughs> uh oh! Yeah, as, as someone that used to be really into physical TCGs, like I recognize the terrible, um, the terrible scam that they are. Doesn't mean I don't enjoy the mechanics, and you know. Oh, for sure. I appreciate when I get the opportunity to, in a safe environment with no microtransactions, just have that little dose of, let me open a booster pack and see if I got the rare thing. Yep. And there's no way that that can lead to me spending money. Well, yeah, I mean, there's a natural dopamine effect in that. Yeah. And the responsible game will let you enjoy that within the confines of the game without introducing a predatory economy. Sadly, they are in short supply. So yeah, that that's been good. What what about both of you? What have you been playing? Well, I uh, I played a weird thing. Yeah, how how weird are we talking? Kind of. It, it's so it's called Roombo First Blood. Okay. I was browsing the Switch, looking at what was you know in the discount bin, and uh, I saw this, and it's you are a Roomba. You know, one of those like remote control or automated vacuum cleaners, right? Yeah. And it's presented in a, a top-down, you know, high-angle perspective in this house, and you can travel around the rooms of the house, and you can accelerate or you can go backwards. And uh, burglars are infiltrating the house. And you also have access, because, you know, you're a smart device, you have access to all of the electronics in the house. And so you can use those to murder the intruders in violent fashions with fun physics. And then once all of the intruders are dealt with, you have a limited amount of time to clean up all of the blood that you've sprayed everywhere. Oh, that's that's kind of great. <laughs> fun. Yeah, it's a combination of of stealth and and you know some simplistic action mechanics, uh, a little bit of trapping. I've only played a few levels of it, but it's it's kind of light and fun, and I got it for like two bucks which is exactly the price point something like this is at for me to say, yeah, I'm in all the way. But, it, you know, it's a fun little game. I, I quite quite liked it. Uh, so you might want to keep an eye out uh, for that probably being discounted again on Switch soon if it's not still. I don't know. But Roombo First Blood, it's it's funny. It's it, it's it, it's charming and uh, and it plays pretty well actually. I was I was pleased because it looks like the sort of thing that someone could have skimped on. Mm. But no, it's it's fun. It's good. I like it. It's a little awesome. you know bit of a viscera cleanup detail meets thief, maybe. Cool. Yeah. Yeah. I played. I didn't even know it was out. 
I played House of the Dead remake. I saw that Ooh, that was coming out, and it yeah. just like, and that there was no announcement for it. I only noticed because I occasionally check a list that is updated with release dates. Yeah, I'm very curious to know how this turned out. You're very curious to know how this. T- <laughs> <laughs> oh God, God, there's no link for Roblox. Uh, yes. Yes, House of the Dead remake. It's House of the Dead. Did they remake it? They remade it. And that is gen- that is what it is. Like, there's there's no bells and whistles here. It's a remade House of the Dead. Um, quite faithful in terms of how fucking short it is. <laughs> <laughs> it's the original arcade game, just the first one. Um, all the environments and character models and everything have been completely redone. You know, it's not super beautiful as a game but i like it some people said the graphics aren't so good but i like them Uh, everything is shiny and slick and juicy and i kind of like that visually it's cool the all the voice acting's been redone but uh they've managed to keep it sounding shit nice like you know how house of the dead voice acting is like delightfully shit yeah uh they've still managed to keep that up so that's pretty good the controls are yeah Mm. it's fine for what it is. Like, I'm playing on the Switch. I've not played it docked. I've been playing it handheld. And using a combination of the gyro controls and the thumbstick, I'm more or less doing okay. But while there are a different combination of things, you can turn gyro off, you can change the sensitivity of everything, there is no control scheme that is a one-for-one adequate replacement for a light gun. Um, They did their best, but the controls do lack. And when they work out, they work out just fine. But I have also had issues with, like, it feels like sometimes the the target, the reticule is, like, drifting off. And the fact that it's on rails and moving with the gyro can be a bit disorienting, and it's very easy to lose track of where you're aiming. Um, So there is that. I have found it a little frustrating as a result uh, at times, but for the most part, it's fine. And as someone who very much enjoys House of the Dead for just the the simple gameplay and utter cheese of it all, it's been okay. That said, it is the original arcade game and nothing else. They have touted so many ways to play it, so many modes... Yeah, okay. There are multiple difficulty levels. You've got easy, normal, hard, and arcade, which is fine. But again, it's still the same game. You've got two different scoring modes, normal and modern, which, okay. But it's still the same game. There is also a horde mode, which had me excited. I wish they hadn't called it horde mode, because it's not what you expect of a horde mode. It's the exact same game, but they put more zombies in. <laughs> Which, when you couple that with the fairly inadequate controls, is just the original game, but less fun. So that's it. Content-wise, that's it. It is the four short levels of House of the Dead, and that's it. The other way they've tried to put in replay value is unlockable guns. So it's not just the usual handgun. You can get, like a, I think there's like a grenade launcher and an assault rifle, which I think would be fun. The problem is is it's locked behind a requirement to save all the scientists. Which, again, 
the coupled with both the controls and the fact that's really fucking hard to begin with because this is an arcade game and it was not designed to be all that fair i'm not doing it I, i'm never going to be able to do that i'm not going to be able to unlock all those like save all those scientists basically if anyone's if no one's played, if you've not played it, um, you know, it's an on-rails shooter. Uh, at times there are scientists who are like crawling away or running away from the zombies. You've got to shoot the zombies before they kill the scientists. And sometimes you've got to do that with like within a second. You've got to aim and shoot and kill the zombie within a second or they'll slaughter a scientist. It's, it's one of those you are probably not going to be able to do it reactively you need to know they are there and be ready yeah you need to know it by the back of your hand and even then the console controls may very well get in your way yeah so i don't think i'm gonna do it and i think that really sucks i think it really sucks that they put the replay value behind forced replay because all they've done is made the game boring I played through House of the Dead so many times this week, and I'm kind of sick of it now. Uh, and for 20 bucks, I'm like, mate, like, you should have given me the guns. Like, have give me different ways to unlock the guns, not unlock the scientists. Then you've got to play through. Then, like, once you unlock the ability to unlock the weapons, you've then got to unlock them weapon by weapon within each chapter of the game. So it's just, like, desperately forcing you to play over and over. And I'm I'm already, like, I'm played out. I'm never going to get those scientists. I'm just not. There are cheats that help. Like, they actually give you codes randomly in loading screens, but they don't tell you what they are, even once you've put them in. So I don't know what they are. Uh, I think one of them I did, like, uh, the one I've put in, one-shot zombies, which, of course, can make saving scientists harder, but you could also accidentally shoot the scientists, and uh, I'm just not going to do it. No matter how many cheats, I'm not going to be able to do it. And there are no, you know, checkpoints, of course, and there's no way to go back and try again. If you're halfway through the game and you shoot a scientist or they get munched, like, I've got to start again. I'm, I don't have the patience for that shit. Otherwise, they've added a, a bestiary, uh, like a library of, of character models for all the enemies with a little write-up. A write-up that they seem to have taken from a fan wiki, complete with spelling mistakes. They just copied and pasted oh. what fan sites had written about the enemies. They're doing House of the Dead 2 remake as well, which presumably will be another 20 bucks. And as I was playing House of the Dead remake, all I was thinking was... They should have included House of the Dead 2 with this. For 20 bucks, I'd have been a lot more positive. Maybe even for 30. If you'd have done 30 and you'd have put both House of the Dead 1 and 2, I'd have probably been more positive than I am right now. But the fact that it's 20 for this, and then when they bring out House of the Dead 2, which, let's face it, is the better one, um, that's going to be 20 bucks as well. And that's a shame, because I really like House of the Dead 2 but it'd be another 20 for, again, a rather a flimsy offering that's doing its best to pretend it's not flimsy. When the effort they spent into falsifying content could have been spent on content. So yeah, it it is fun. You know, it's a ridiculous, absurd, stupid game, um, which I've always liked in House of the Dead. I don't regret having it, uh, like getting it and playing it, but 
I couldn't recommend it to anyone who's sort of curious about it or like just has a passing fancy. If you want some nostalgia and you know what you're getting in for uh, and you don't mind that it is a fairly threadbare offering, then sure. But otherwise, like just bear in mind, it's 20 bucks for a game that lasts maybe 30 minutes. Mm. And there we are, House of the Dead remake. It's I don't I didn't hate my time with it, but I really had to just keep playing to justify buying it. <laughs> Just the same thing over and over. Yeah. Yeah. What about you, Laura? What about me? Um, I've, I've been playing more uh, retro retro games that happen to be um, card, card-based card games. Yeah. It reminded me of an era before microtransactions, and it was nice to play games that like would never exist today. Uh, I played a Game Boy Advance game called Yu-Gi-Oh! Worldwide Edition Stairway to the Destined Duel. Oh, no, that's the one that uh, Pitbull is the boss of, right? <laughs> Mr. Worldwide? Mr. Worldwide, indeed. Yeah. Um, terrible naming conventions aside, it's another one that like does a really nice job of feeling like a compelling narrative stringing together, um, stringing together card-based gameplay. It largely follows the the arc of a couple of seasons of the Yu-Gi-Oh! anime, but what I really like is that they go out of their way to add in some additional content and some additional tweaks to how things play out to make it feel a little more balanced for actual play. Because one of the problems with Yu-Gi-Oh! is, admittedly, as much as I very much enjoyed the anime watching it growing up, it really had a real big case of this thing happened because the protagonist got incredibly lucky because they're the protagonist and they have impeccable luck as a result, which doesn't necessarily translate well to you playing through that content and having to have the same level of unbelievable luck to pull things off. There is a good degree of little tweaks made to go, this feels thematically like what you saw in the show, but we have balanced it slightly better so that you as a realistic human being who is actually having to rely on good luck and like regular strategy can have a slightly better time of it. And that I appreciate. I've not got a huge amount to say about it other than that it's just nice to... It is a nice game. It is It is one that also like I, I, f- I fell out of playing Yu-Gi-Oh! as a card game at some point because it more than any other card game I've ever played, it completely jumped the shark in terms of, like, there's a point around the mid-2000s where they started adding in, every two to three years, a completely new mechanic that would just make everything that came before it completely irrelevant. And it was nice to play a Yu-Gi-Oh! game set in an era before that had started to happen that was like, oh, this is the game as I remember it and not the race to defeat the opponent before they've even had a chance to have their first turn that Yu-Gi-Oh is these days. Mm. Yeah, not much else to say on that. Uh, what have you both been playing? Uh, Alright, so, real quick, speaking of things don't have much to say about, uh, Steph, you know how Skull starts to screw you in World 4? Yeah. Yeah, this is great, this is great. Now there are enemies... Now there are enemies, now there are enemies that do attacks, that when the attacks hit you, they put a curse on you that increases the amount of damage you take by 5%, oh and they stack. Sake. <laughs> they stack, Steph. They stack. They stack. Oh, and, and, and you don't have four heroes to fight. Now, no, 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 they just, like, made a super version 
of each of the heroes, and it gives you one of those to fight. And they've got all of these massive attacks, and there's only one of them that I look at and think, all right, you I can take. Everybody else will be like, oh, dear God, I'm screwed. Uh, so, yeah, that's continuing to be uh, quite challenging. But I still feel like I'm making progress the more I play it, and that's kind of the mark of one of these being pretty well made, and I, that frustrates me to no uh, small extent. So yeah, uh, still playing Skull. But the other thing I played this week uh, was Lego Star Wars: The Skywalker Saga. Oh, how is it? I've been I've been hoping to pick it up if it's good. It's a lot. Yeah, I mean that's the thing. It the the promise is a lot like i i played the original lego star wars games to completion multiple times 100% like i for whatever reason that gameplay loop is so compelling to me mm. because it's just run around and break shit and then maybe occasionally build stuff and then there's some comical bits and there's just clever level design and a lot there's a lot in in those early games and then as the series went on it didn't ever really vary too far from the the formula there wasn't like any big dramatic changes there might be some different classes thrown in or you know one or two new mechanics but over time i just i got tired of them and and didn't but i did play like maybe half a dozen of these freaking lego games hmm. and come into this it, it feels both very familiar and hugely dramatically different um there are big open world like size stages to explore like they're real big and they are packed in with content and they're all very specifically designed and they're not they're not actually that large. They just feel like they are spacious, right? Hmm. And you can play it in co-op and it you could separate because it's split screen local and go do completely different shit and it's fine. Hmm. Um, I'm playing it on PC and it's, uh, you know, it's crashed on me once. Um, I've heard people have had some tech problems with it. I haven't run into too much, but... Uh, I really, really like it, but boy, there's just so much more to it. In addition to the the bigger worlds, um, now there's a whole bunch of upgrade skill tree stuff. There are special blocks that you get to unlock those upgrades, and there are both uh, general upgrades and then class-specific upgrades for everything, and there's something like eight character classes that can be affected by that, and... There are so there's like eleven hundred of these fucking collectible upgrade blocks to get in the game. Huh. It's crazy. Like there's just so much, and the way that it's structured is you can uh, select to start in any one of the three trilogies and hop between the three trilogies, but you do have to complete the story mode mm. uh, of each trilogies games in sequence and as you go those stages get unlocked for free play and then you can return in and get into all the little nooks and crannies with access to the full range of characters and not just the ones limited to being available in the story mode there's space travel and i haven't even scratched 
at that at all yet, but it there's you could travel the galaxy in spaceships. There's just so much shit in this game. Uh, I feel bad for the dev team. I really, really do. You did a great job, and I'm so sorry you had to go yeah. through hell uh, to produce this. Mm. It It's very good work. Yeah. It's one of those things where both the reason I was interested in it and the reason I've been a bit hesitant to pick it up are that amount of promised content, because if there is as much in there as it sounds like there is, it sure does seem like that large amount of content was created under not great conditions, and that's not ideal. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. So, uh, uh, an unfortunate uh, sort of uh, bittersweet feeling makes the game's, the game's a lot of fun, and it's so funny. Oh, and they do such a... Because I think the one thing that they smartly realize, and Batman adaptation writers take fucking note, okay? We know mm. the story. We know the story. And this just sort of zips along through it. Wait, what's the story? Hang on, what's the story? Batman's parents got killed. As the, I know. What? Yeah. Yeah, Batman's what? parents got killed. Yeah, I know. Batman's Spoiler for Batman. Got... When did this happen? When he was a kid. No one told me about this. Yeah. I've not heard this. Yeah, yeah right. Yeah. What? And this does... It doesn't give us any of the downtime slow bits of Star Wars. It just zips along from one action sequence to another, but none of it feels lost because they might throw in a little bit reference to be like, oh, yeah, you know, this happened during this time. Here, here comes a little uh, combat drone. Are you suggesting that when we go through the prequel trilogy, I won't have to sit through Senate meetings? I, now, I'm, <laughs> I am just getting to the portion of the game that has the Senate there's a portion of the story that is rife with Senate hearings. Like, I've got Amidala meeting with Palpatine right now as they arrive at Coruscant. So, I don't, I can't promise. But if what I've seen of A New Hope is any indication, I, I strongly suspect it's going to be just breezed past. I am very confident you will be correct. There is a quiet piece of my soul that really wants just all of the, the, the filler to be skipped except for the Senate hearings and you've got children forced to sit through uh, the trade trade negotiations with Naboo I mean, drawing you know, out. Like, <laughs> admittedly, that was the aspect of the prequel trilogy that had me the most interested. That's one of the most Conrad things I've ever heard. Well, no, because it's the idea of, of, of Palpatine. He's not just like a Sith Lord, he's a politician, and he is manipulating the levers of power to attain his position. It is an interesting bit of fleshing out of that character's motivations that does not belong in that children's <laughs> film. I'll say this, right? Considering almost all of those films were shot in, like, very small green screen studios, it is about the most effective use of the space they had. <laughs> Just people sat down and fucking talking. Uh, but oh, yeah, dear. yeah, it's good. It's a good game. There's lots of stuff in it. Oh, good. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, anyone else played anything else this week? Oh, I hope you've got your tickets. 
<gasps> I hope you've reserved your seats. Because we're off on a trip to none other than Stephanie's Vita Corner. Oh, different different kind of sound this week. We've got a, a thunk thunk. Yeah, the, the, the yeah. different uh, percussions. Uh, uh, it's an experimental uh, musical style I'm working on. I'm 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 excited about the experiments. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Speaking of experiments, uh, this week's Vita Corner uh, concerns uh, a game called Tearaway, one of the most oh. I would say famous PS Vita games. Yeah, um, made by Media Molecule, the Little Big Planet people. Oh uh, yeah, this is one of the few tech demos that is actually good. Yeah. <laughs> Like Astro's Playroom on the PS5, it's like, it's a tech demo, but unlike most of the PSV, a library, which were shit tech demos, it's good. This was a studio actually having fun with the PS Vita's controls, rather than desperately cramming it in just to do it. Tearaway is a little third-person adventure game. Um, sort of a lot of environmental puzzling. There is combat, but it's very straightforward. Um, you are a little envelope with a body, and you've got to go off uh, on an adventure to deliver a message to the player, basically to you, the player, who appears regularly in the game because it uses the front-facing camera to get a shot of you to make you look through the sun at the game, which sucks <laughs> because the last thing I need is for the Vita to be looking up at me making me all chinny fucking staring I don't know if any of you saw that uh, viral uh, comic um, panel that went around when Animal Crossing um, yeah. the, the Switch Animal Crossing happened where it shows the first panel is your like cute little villager then it shows the screen fading to black and the reflection of you like looking back just <laughs> massive chin and glaring eyes just that horrible neutral look on your face that's horrible. I hate that. And it keeps doing it. It just ambushes me with my own face. Don't do that. <laughs> Other than that, like, it's cool. You tap on the back of the Vita to, like, use it as, like, a drum, uh, like, make little drums or, like, tap bits of the environment to lift, lift stuff up. Like, if you go on a little tappy area with a, a block on it, you can stand on the block, then tap the bottom of the Vita and it'll knock the block up in the air and you can jump onto a higher platform from there. You can hold two fingers or like any number of fingers behind the Vita and then a finger will push up out of the ground and you can trace that around for some puzzles. Um, These are all in very particular areas. You can't just do that anywhere in the game. Um, And there's like, you know, use the front facing touchscreen to pull things like pull little present ribbons open to get stuff. Use the gyro for like aiming a camera and stuff. Um, It is a lot of tapping the back of the Vita in all fairness. But it's neat. It's very cute, uh, very charming. Um, I really like the visual design. Everything sort of like carb, uh, like like paper craft, uh, moving paper craft with some really original little character designs. They're all very endearing. Um, it's cute, and I like it. And it is clearly a game designed to just show off what the Vita could do at the time. But it wasn't like, you know, Resistance Burning Skies, where it's like, here's a first-person shooter, and now we're going to layer in touchscreen controls that just get in the fucking way because you got to take your hands off the controls to swipe about on the screen while you're being shot to death. 
It feels like the closest I think a Sony game has ever come to that feeling of like the Nintendo pack in games where it'll be like, this is our pretty, pretty intuitive feeling showcase of what all of the tech we put into this can do. Yeah. Well, it's the difference between trying to take something that the player is already completely familiar with and having to, you know, and pigeonholed into and then forcing the tech to apply to that framework yeah. as opposed to designing a framework that then applies to all of the tech. Yeah. And it's what makes all the other games infuriating because it's like, you know what? You don't have to make me draw in the middle of the screen in a first-person fucking shoot-up when I'm trying to shoot things that are shooting at me because Tearaway's already done this shit. Tearaway's demonstrated the tech. I don't need the tech demoed in every single game I play. I get it. I'm sold on it. I already bought the fucking Vita. You don't need to keep selling its features to me. The tech is demoed already come up with something new that exploits the tech yeah either come up with something new like tearaway did you know build a game from the ground up to work with these controls or keep it very fucking subtle like i've said before like you know have a Mm -hmm. little grenade icon in the corner of the screen right next to the fucking buttons that i can tap to throw the grenade like just simple Simple little things, like the motion controls in in Twilight Princess, just waggle the stick a little bit, like waggle the remote a little bit while you're walking to do a little spinny attack. Like, that's all I need. Don't force the player to change how they're playing the game to interact with the game in a totally different way that takes you out of the experience because you're having to like completely alter how you interact with it. That has always sucked. And I'm really glad we kind of moved beyond that. Until the next weird gimmick comes along. Well, until the next gimmick. But there was that period in the 2010s when they were lousy for it between motion controls and touchscreens and gyro and tapping and swooshing. And it, it was everywhere. And and it was infuriating. And I, I think it's taken a lot of games from the 2010s that could have been classics and made them shit. And Tearaway isn't one of them. Because Tearaway, very much like Astro's Play Lab on the PS5, is designed completely to work with the controls, not have the controls work against an existing playstyle. So yeah, yeah, uh, Tearaway is definitely one of the best Vita games, looking back. It is kind of the the, the last word in how to demonstrate the Vita's features. Hmm. And you don't need other ones trying to do that. Like, I I would have been happy just having more regular, normal first-person shooters on the PS Vita. As it stands, there were only really two. It was Killzone and Resistance. And both of them kind of put in more gimmicky shit than they needed to. Not everything on the Vita had to be a gimmick, but so many fucking mainstream games forced it. And Tearaway is all gimmick and all tech demo, but is one of the few times where that's actually succeeded. I'd have called it possibly the best tech demo if Astro's Play Lab hadn't been a thing. Or Playroom, whatever it was, the, the PS5. Yeah. Could, the thing that worked with the, the, the you know, the new dual shock. The, the, the cool dual, free yeah. PS5 Astro thing. Yeah. Because um, that one really is just a delight of a game. Oh, it is. But Tearaway is very good. I never played the the, the home console version because I know they brought it to, I want to say, PS3? Yeah, it's, so the, the home console port, if you had both options presented to you, the Vita version is better. 
it is largely the same experience in the, the home console version, just lacks a couple of things. But if you don't have a Vita and kind of wanted to experience this kind of charming little tech demo-y thing, enough of it is intact in the console version that it's not a bad experience, it's just not quite 100% everything the Vita was doing. Yeah, exactly. Um, so yeah, if you, you know, if, if Vita Corner has been getting you into Vita stuff, uh, Tearaway's basically a must-have. It encapsulates everything game developers were trying to do with the Vita, but well, whereas everyone else was kind of stumbling. It's good. Just be aware that it will show you your own face from an unflattering angle <laughs> a lot. And that was Stephanie's Vita Corner. Woo. Woo. There we are. Just put down my bread knife and monster energy can. <laughs> there we go. Uh, anyone played anything else they want to talk about? Or shall we move on to the news? One last thing, um, because uh, I I'm still uh, playing around a fair bit with my 3DS. It's my it's my bedtime, you know, bedtime activity. Now, just fiddling around with something on that because as as you might be aware, uh, I don't know if if you, you you've heard this, the the 3DS shop's closing down. Yeah, I've heard. Yeah, and and so access to many, many, many great titles is going are going to be uh, lost uh, in the future. Uh, thankfully, the 3DS is, and this will surprise you also to learn, very, very easy to modify with custom firmware. And I've been playing Luigi's Mansion Dark Moon. Ooh, how are you finding it? You know, I've always wanted to play luigi's mansion right uh, it, it, yeah, even yeah. going back to the you know original it, it was always around and yet i somehow i don't think i ever played it or, or spent more than five minutes playing a demo of it i mm. like a lot of the sort of secondary mascot games that nintendo's done along the way yeah. i just miss them somehow uh, or I know they exist, and I just never get around to it. And Dark Moon is just delightful. Yeah, it really is. It's just fun. And it is so well-suited to the 3DS because of the, uh, you know, the, the missions are all, like, a couple of minutes. You, you could do them on a, a bus ride or something like that. Uh, the map expands, so you could spend more time exploring around once you're in later levels, but you, if you want to just go point A to point B, finish the level, that takes a few minutes, and it's a fun little experience to do. Uh, the puzzles are neat, the use of perspective is cool, uh, the, the rooms are, are, you know, where they hide stuff is clever. I, there's, I'm still real early on, but there's a uh, a room with a camera set up and it's facing a mirror. And if you look at the camera, you know, look at the perspective through the, the lens of the camera, you can see in the mirror it reflects that there's a gem hidden in a cobweb up in a corner that you wouldn't have seen because from your perspective it's obscured by a curtain. It's just things like that. And it's like, this is fun. I'm enjoying myself. It, it's, a, it's a cool environment to noodle around in. Um... The ghosts aren't a real threat in any meaningful way, uh, but they are fun little action sequences to deal with. And 
the limited use of gyro in this instance to sort of modify the angle of the camera works pretty well. And I, yeah, I'm having fun. Nintendo first party stuff just has that shine. And it's a very well-made game that I am enjoying a lot. Um, and I'm glad I, I, I played it. And, and we'll probably keep playing it for maybe a week or two because uh, I, it's just easy to pick it up and then set back down. Yeah. And I'm doing that every night, picking myself up and setting myself back down. I, I was in a very similar camp to you in that the original Luigi's Mansion, I love the idea of conceptually, but it just doesn't 100% mm-hmm. work for me. I think both of the sequels 100% like get what I wanted the first game to be. Like That is a series that started on kind of shaky footing, but has just gotten better and better. Like I really enjoyed the Switch release, uh, whenever that was, uh, Luigi's Mansion 3. Both of the sequels are real fun. They're real neat little games. Yeah. That's all I've played. Well, it's probably time for us to do some news, because mm. there's a bunch of it. Where do we want to start this week? Probably with Activision Blizzard King. Well, that's like half our news. <laughs> oh shit, there's breaking news about that. Is this about uh, the California governor? Yeah. Yeah, so we, yeah, this broke like half an hour before we recorded. Uh, Comrade threw it in the chat. Yeah. Should we, should we start with this? Yeah, corruption. At the highest level. Yeah. So apparently um, Gavin Newsom may have meddled in the Activision, one of the Activision lawsuits going on, attempting to help aid Activision in fighting the lawsuit. It's almost like Activision is incredibly corrupt. Yeah. And it's almost as if American politicians are incredibly corrupt. And it's almost as if these incredibly corrupt twats are helping each other out. It's almost like that. It's almost like that. It's almost like that. Yeah, so the the, the story as it... As it I'll, I'll try and summarise it as well as possible. Uh, this uh, was reported by Jason Schreier over at Bloomberg. So specifically, we're talking about uh, the, the, uh, the Department of Fair Employment and Housing lawsuit uh, that was brought against Activision Blizzard. The allegation is that California Governor Gavin Newsom uh, was regularly and repeatedly interfering with that lawsuit. I will read a quote from the story. The office of the governor repeatedly demanded advance notice of litigation strategy and of next steps in litigation. As we continue to win in state court, this interference increased, mimicking the interests of Activision's counsel. And now this is coming from um, one of two lawyers who have resigned in protest over Indeed. these, uh, uh, well, over, over over the firing of one. One was fired and the other has resigned in protest. Yes. So the short version is that some of this stuff uh, came from very specific emails that allegedly create a paper trail to demonstrate this was going on. One of these two people attempted to basically go, hey, this is a complete overreach that our agency, the DFEH, needs to be independent and was abruptly terminated as a result of raising that concern. Uh, and then the other one quit. They resigned in protest of both the interference and the other staff member being terminated. Now, this piece stops shy of sort of connecting the dots of of what, you know, Newsom interfering with this means, but the assumption that 
it's not too hard to make is that Gavin Newsom is in a position where he is responsible for figures such as employment statistics within California. And it's not that hard to imagine a situation where Activision Blizzard maybe put it on the table that if they get in a lot of trouble with the DFEH, they're not going to be able to employ as many people in California, and that would not be great. And perhaps that would be why someone like Newsom might, you know, ask what steps are coming up in the lawsuit and then feed that information to Activision so that they have a bit of a leg up on what to expect hypothetically. Oh, and, and there's a very real likelihood of, you know, I mean, there there could be donations involved as well, and, and there's a lot yeah. of, uh, a lot of money has to go in towards gubernatorial races in California. I, I'm, I would not be surprised. We already know that Bobby Kotick is a big political donator. Yes. Right. So it would not shock me uh, if, if, pack money was involved but there's no way to prove that or or you know uh, or no way for me to prove that at any rate and yeah. so you know i don't have evidence but it's bobby kotick it's activision this is what they do there's money involved yeah this is how they get out of things bobby kotick's answer to all of these problems has always been money mm. activision at this level like activision is just a, a cartoon level super like villain at this point like the, they are just actual villains a woman died like that i need to keep bringing it back to that a woman has died because of the abuse at activision blizzard mm. and bobby kotick is treating it like a fucking joke yeah so to be clear about about this situation so this is one of two major lawsuits that were happening the other one is the one that recently got settled for 18 million which is nothing considering the fucking scale of what happened and the pockets that Activision Blizzard has. I think the fair concern to be had about this is the DFEH lawsuit is the only major one left on the table that could see any kind of proper consequences happen. And the idea that someone like Newsom may have been actively working against the DFEH to feed them inf uh, Activision Blizzard information to make it easier for ABK to fight is a real sign, you know, that, that is a real worrying sign in the hopes that we will see any actual consequences out of this lawsuit. Yep. Can't disagree with any of that. Yeah. So yeah, that's something to keep an eye on. Um, other ABK news, because it's just constant right now. This is, this is one of the scummiest things that we've seen, like, the most directly, publicly visible scummy responses that ABK's had yet to uh, the attempt to unionise within the company. Activision Blizzard is converting all game-testing temps into full-time employees, brackets, excluding those seeking unionisation. So, to be clear, there is there there are two aspects of this story. There is legally what is going on, and reading between the lines what is clearly happening, so... Yeah, because, to, you know, the, the first response is, well, Activision Blizzard actually can't yes. increase their pay in this fashion. And, that, yeah, and that relates to because a negotiations contract process has to be undergone with this formed union yeah. to establish what their new rate of pay is going to be. They are going to make more money. Indeed, but you can see how this is being framed by mm -hmm. Activision Blizzard, which is, oh hey, you know that thing that you've been that you were asking for 
moving all of the game testers onto full-time, you know, contracts with an improved salary. They're now going to be getting $20 an hour, uh, have access to full company benefits. 1,100 staff within the company are going to be seeing this this benefit. It's going to be, oh, look at this great thing that's happening. Oh, but it's such a shame. Those of you who are unionizing aren't going to be able to get those good benefits because because of the union. you got to wait until the union. This is what you do with, like, sibling children when one is being naughty and one is being good. Like, where you just try and be like, you know, oh, well, these sweets are for this person who is good. And if you're good, you get... Like, like yeah. they're just trying to do child bribes, but with people's living expenses. Here's what needs to be pointed out very clearly. Yeah. Is that those 1,100 people would not now have... That pay raise and benefits were it not for the people attempting to form this union. Indeed. Because, like, there's there's very clearly the way ABK wants to frame this is, like, I, I will read their statement about this. Oh, Activision is prohibited from making new kinds of compensation changes at Raven at this time due to legal obligations under the National Labor Relations Act. Like, they're very much blaming it on, oh, we can't, we can't help you because you're trying to unionize. The union's keeping that from you. Yeah, the way this story needs to be presented is that the union put them into a position where they had to increase people's pay and benefits. Yeah. What what ABK is clearly trying to do here is they're trying to suggest you would have a pay rise right now if you hadn't tried to unionize, therefore the union's bad for you, you should back out of it. Or because you didn't join the union, yeah. you're getting this pay rise, you know, and it, you know, it would have, it, you know, who, are, who knows what you might have gotten if you'd gone with the union. It's really fucking transparent attempt at union busting. Well, yeah, it's one of these situations that... The sheer existence of the suggestion is an insult to the workforce. Yes. Because it's such a tried and tested method of union busting. It's such a dumb thing and it's so obvious that for Activision to try and present it to their workforce is Activision Blizzard saying it thinks its workforce is stupid. Yeah. That it thinks its workers are marks. It shows that they believe their workers are foolish enough to believe that this pay rise would have happened regardless without the union trying to happen. Yeah. And that the union is 100% standing in the way of this and in no way responsible for it. And the big irony of this is it's it's Activision's executives telling on themselves because that's how they think. Because they think in terms of like pure short-term investment of what can I get right now and damn the later consequences. This is just how they think. So really, they're the fucking suckers. They just happen to be very cunning and surreptitious along with it which is why they make obscene amounts of money because if anything like this puts a very clear point on the table for the first thing that the union will probably be fighting for them to have because of the fact that it's like okay you're compensating other people in our job role better than us compensate us at the same rate and backdate it oh yeah they've just set the minimum bar for negotiating now now they've told them where they can push for more well that's it it's you've not only told them the minimum bar but you've also given them leverage to go there was an x amount of time where because you dragged your feet on on letting us form the union we couldn't start negotiations to meet that that pay that that bar you've been underpaying us compared to other people doing our job 
let's get us caught up. Oh yeah, back pay is very much a, a thing that unions negotiate for. This puts them in a great position to get that. I hope long term this becomes an expensive tactic for Activision, but then again I hope that Activision falls flat on its face in all its endeavours. Yeah. And if, if nothing else, I think we should celebrate this as the first victory of the union. Yeah. Even if the union hasn't fully formed, even if they are not seeing the benefits of it themselves, they have clearly put Activision Blizzard in a position where they are starting to cave to some of those better ABK demands that we've had since the start. Yeah, and they're not stupid. They're not marks. Uh, the people at better ABK, the people pushing for better working conditions and better compensation at Activision know what union busting techniques are they're not gonna fall for this yeah they're not there right now angry and resentful and regretting pushing for better conditions because yes activision is only doing this because of them and if they push harder if if a better abk and everyone else pushing for unionization push harder they will get that and more Mm. i do want to read a statement that i i think sums it up very well, uh, that was made to The Verge by Communications Workers of America Secretary-Treasurer Sarah Steffens. Make no mistake, all credit for Activision Blizzard's latest move to give all temporary and contingent QA team staff members full-time employment and a raise should go to the workers who have been organising, mobilising, and speaking out. It's especially galling that Activision has excluded Raven Software QA workers, who have been at the forefront of this effort from these benefits. The company's assertion that the National Labor Relations Act prevents them from including Raven workers is clearly an effort to divide workers and undermine their effort to form a union. Activision's disingenuous announcement is further evidence of the need for workers to have a protected voice on the job. We strongly urge Activism Blizzard to rectify this situation and respect Raven QA workers' protected right to organise under law. I think that summarises it very fucking well. Yeah. So yeah, good on, good on, on the ABK Workers Alliance. They're really... Making some actual change and... Yeah. This is a win that Activision Blizzard is trying to present as a loss. But this is a win. Yeah. It really is. The last bit of ABK news for this week, because it just keeps on rolling and it's going to for a while. We've had more strike action at Activision Blizzard King. Uh, this, This time for other reasons. ABK employees have taken part in a planned strike to protest the company's... Uh, dropping uh, vaccination requirements for in-office staff. Which is fair. If you've got a job role that forces you to come into the office, I, I, can, I can understand not wanting to be forced to work alongside people who refuse to get vaccinated. Absolutely. Yeah, so the, the, it was announced by Activision Blizzard and was immediately criticised by staff who said it risked employees, uh, particularly those who are immunocompromised or live with others who are, and basically just point pointed out, you are making us choose between our job and our safety if we have any connection to immunocompromised people or are ourselves. Somewhere between 80 and 115 staff uh, took part in a walkout. A better ABK and uh, the ABK Workers Alliance are pushing for the vaccine mandate to be fully reinstated. Um, and particularly, uh, the reason I brought this up is we're going to get another story about this later. They're pushing for the ability for staff to be able to continue working from home permanently if they've been able to work from home thus far during the pandemic. There's no need for them to be in. If if people have been able yeah. to work from home during all this time, you don't need them in an office. Yeah. And it's a racket. Getting and making people commute and take time out of their lives to go to an office, spending fuel 
that they get no compensation for. Yeah. It's always been a fucking racket. Yeah. Boy, Activision Blizzard is just choosing every... Like, they're just choosing every shitty path, aren't they? There's not one good thing that they ever want. If they've got the choice between a shitty thing and a good thing, they will always go for the shitty thing. Yeah. The particular double whammy of you are forced to come back to the office, you do not have the option to work from home, and we're not going to mandate being vaccinated, that is going to force certain people to not be able to safely continue to do their jobs. It's They can't even do the bare minimum. Yeah. Because, let's face it, Bobby Kotick is a right-wing piece of shit. Yeah. Bobby Kotick is... I, like, oh yeah, he's, he's contributed to a couple Democrats before. Fuck that. I mean, the Democrats are basically right-wing as well, just just softer. Bobby Kotick is a right-wing nutjob. Mm. A dangerous one who once threatened to have an assistant killed. Yep. He would gladly, he would see hundreds of his own workers die if, if it gave him just a, a percentage bump up. Yeah. On better news on that front, though, uh, with regards to you know work from home policies, Bungie, developers of Destiny, have committed to uh, some pretty big changes to ensure that work from home becomes a permanent part of the company going forward. Good. They are committing to what they call a digital first hiring policy, and have stated that most current and future roles will be fully remotely ed- eligible. There's a few little exceptions and a few things going on. Um, very specifically. There is a list of US states in which you will be able to be living when you do your remote work job for Bungie, and it seems like that is largely to do with um, local tax laws. But as long as you are living in uh, Washington, California, Oregon, Illinois, Florida, North Carolina, or Texas, you can apply for a job at Bungie, and the fact that you are not in the same state, maybe not even on the same side of the country as Bungie, will not stop you being able to apply for and do your job fully remotely. Mm-hmm. And that's wonderful. I mean, let's face it, like, how much of game development 100% needs to be in an office? Very little. I'm sure there are roles that will require that. How much? Not much. I mean, we could we could expand that. How much of any job, especially jobs that are in offices, yeah, how many of those need to be in an office? You might have situations where certain confidential information is being dealt with, or you might need a particularly powerful piece of hardware that is difficult to have in someone's residential home. There's going to be exceptions. Yeah, there's absolutely exceptions. On those days, come in. If you're just writing some code... You can stay home for that. Oh, wait, no, hang on, hang on. But what about all of the managers? They need to be able to control people's lives and surveil them. The real estate market demanding that people be filling up office buildings and managers needing to physically walk around and seem busy are really the only reasons that anyone's, in my opinion, pushing for, you know, going back to offices. Most jobs don't need to be done from offices. We're reaching a point where, like, remote control of machines over the internet is reliable and responsive enough for most people that like even jobs that you don't have the physical hardware to do from home can be done in real time from home there's very little reason anyone should be forced to work in an office fuck yeah absolutely yeah 
So g- good on Bungie for that. I hope we see more of that as time goes on. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's been promising. We're seeing more studios go, like, at least trial the four-day work week, doing more stuff from home. Like, it... It just benefits people to have more of their time. They become happier workers. They become better workers. Any arguments to the contrary is part of capitalism's grift. Indeed. We're definitely seeing the baby steps towards improvement. And it makes me happy that these stories are becoming more common. Like, I I think it was only two, three weeks ago we were talking about Bandai Namco trialing four-day work weeks. Like, these stories are getting more common and that's Great news. Yeah. We got we got one more story and then like a little light bit of fluff to end on. Do you remember the uh the boost train feature on that Twitch was trialing recently? <laughs> you remember this? You could get your audience to spend money to like get your stream promoted onto the front page. Oh yeah. As I recall, we all thought it was an excellent idea at the time. Oh, the best idea possible. One Oh yeah. Well, you know what? I I hear that Twitch is the best place to run a hype train on someone. Oh. <laughs> yeah, so um, that feature's trial very, very, very quickly uh, ended because recently some porn ended up on the front page of Twitch because there is zero moderation for what gets uh, boost trained to the front page and some... Someone just decided, why don't I stream some porn and pay some money to put it on the front page? It's almost as if Twitch's largely unmoderated, easily exploitable platform can cause trouble. Yeah. <laughs> I love it. I, I, this is brilliant. This is brilliant. It not only highlights how shitty the boost feature was to begin with. Yeah. It absolutely pours scornful light on how unmoderated Twitch is and how this, a company as powerful and large and influential as Amazon actively chooses to have a pathetic hands-off approach to a platform that desperately needs hands-on. The mentality was clearly, so long as you have money, we trust you to decide what's on the the front page. (laughs) And that is a terrifyingly short-sighted view for a company like that to have. Yeah. What business do you have in online content creation if you just trusted us? (laughs) (sighs) (laughs) Ah. And the last last bit of news I got for, for today, which I just... I find this kind of fun. Um, so, you know, Supermassive Games, who do, like, Until Dawn, the Dark Pictures mm-hmm. anthology, they make their uh, their little choose-your-own-adventure games. Yeah, good stuff. Yeah, you know, they're, they're largely watch a movie and you occasionally interact with them. So they've got a new one of these games called The Quarry coming out. Uh, it's not one of the Dark Pictures ones. It seems like it's going to be a more in-depth, full-length thing, a bit more like Until Dawn was. They're adding a new mode called Movie Mode, where you don't have to play the video game. Yeah, I love anything where I don't have to play the video game. <laughs> and, like, I-, I wonder whether in part this is to combat the fact that, like, you know, inevitably with these games, people just upload the full game as a w- watch-the-movie version of it anyway. But, like... 
there, I, I say just watch a movie. There's a, there's a little bit of interaction going on. Uh, there's a couple of options. I like them. You know, they're like choose your own adventures, but with a little production value. I've got no problem with the way Until Dawn does its stuff. Yeah, it's fine. And I mean, like, there's a little bit of, of choose your own adventure in this movie mode. You can choose, uh, I think they've announced three different versions of the game's choose your own adventure narrative you can have as your movie. Yeah. Everyone survives. Everyone dies, or a more involved mode where you're not having to do any quick time events or anything like that, but you are deciding, like, yeah. okay, we'll show you up front who these characters are, what sort of personality traits would you like to give them, and then you watch a version of the game hmm. where they act in those ways. Huh. And I kind of like that. Yeah, I. It's a, it's a cute idea. Here's my issue with it. Here's my issue with it. Um, I said this of Heavy Rain, mm. and I'll say this of many of these types of adventure games where you sort of... They, they've got lofty pretensions of being like a movie, but with some interactive elements. They're all lucky that they're video games, mm. because none of them are very good films. I liked Until Dawn a lot, but if I were to just sit and watch it as a movie, I wouldn't like it. I agree with you to an extent, and like my my thoughts on this are definitely skewed by the fact that I do I do video game criticism in that the ability for me to let's say I get a review copy of this and play through it once, you know, playing it regularly, and then I want to start making notes about like I want to see how much this plot can vary. I want to get a sense of what the turning points are, where things could have gone differently. But I don't want to have to sit and do a lot of the same quick time events that I did the first time around. I just want to sit and make notes and do other things while I see the other permutations of the story. This is going to be really good for that. Like, if I can just set it to go, I want to see how differently Everyone Survives ending is, and not have to be 100% <laughs> giving it my attention, that's good for me for work reasons. And I know that that's not everyone's situation, but... The hardcore gamers... Oh, but you didn't the earn the The hardcore gamers... Ending. You didn't Well, the thing is, <laughs> the hardcore gamers would call that mode game journalist mode. And the irony is, is it's kind of useful for game journalists. Well, it is a very specific use case that you've outlined, but but it doesn't have to be that way. It could just be like, you know what? I kind of want to see the other endings to this, and I don't want to play the game again. Yeah. This was eight hours of my life. Yeah, that's the thing. Like, I enjoy usually interacting with these games in the moment when everything is new and interesting. Sometimes I just want to see the other endings and I don't want to be 100% locked in on interacting when it's like, oh, that's a button press that I, I've done like three times now trying to see this ending. Just let me see the other version. It works for hyper-specific uses. Yeah. But as a selling point... No. No, yeah. I. These things are longer than films and worse written than a lot of horror films I could... Like, using horror films because it's super massive, that's what they do. Yeah. There are many horror movies I could watch that are, like, 90 minutes long and infinitely better written than what Supermassive does. And I'm not saying they're shit writers, but they're not movie makers. No. They're not. They're video game developers, and video game mainstream video game development is not where you go for edifying writing most of the time. I will say there's one thing I'm curious about, with this movie mode, which is, will they cut scenes for pacing? Because there are certain moments in things like this that are 
going to be a lot less interesting if you're not hands-on with them. Like, I think about, um, what was the Dark Pictures one? Little Hope, the uh, sort of Silent Hill-esque one. The witchy one, yeah. Yeah, I think about a lot of scenes in that where you're just sort of walking through mis- like through mysterious settings and because you have your hands on the controls there's some engagement going on there but that wouldn't work necessarily as just a you know watching in a film context i do wonder if you cut some of those things down will they make any attempt to truncate this a bit closer down to a movie pacing if they know you're not hands on with it and i'm curious to see that so yeah i i'm i'm kind of i'm kind of interested in this yeah. It's it's going to be an interesting experiment. But uh yeah, I think that's everything we got this week. Yeah. I think that's all the news. Wow. Yeah. I think I think all that remains to be said there then is Laura. Yeah. Oh Laura. Me. You stuff do what? people need know, yes. Yes. Laura K Buzz places all of them. Uh Twitter, Twitch, YouTube, Patreon, that's the one that pays the bills. Just just look at Laura K Buzz everywhere. I've got a few things coming up. August 18th, me and my dysphoria monster comes out. Keep an eye open for that. Who Wants the Whale is coming along. We're currently doing our big development edit on it, and I'm real happy with that book. Keep an eye out for it. You can pre-order it now. I think that's the main things at the moment. Conrad, what about you? Oh, well, you could find me at Conrad Zimmerman on Twitter and Instagram. You can find me on Twitch at twitch.tv slash thatconradzimmerman, where I stream a few different days a week at a variety of times. So maybe one works for you. Uh, you can buy anti-capitalist propaganda from me at pinfultruth.com and audiobooks at conradreads.com and everything I do online gets supported through Patreon at patreon.com slash fistshark and you know who else has a Patreon? <gasps> James Stephanie Sterling. Oh, uh, wow. Oh my god. Wow, it's me. Fuck. Oh god, yes. It's 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 patreon.com slash Jimquisition. And you can go there and you can give me money if you want. Um that would be grand. I'd be made up with that. That'd be great. Uh, I also stream um with alarming regularity these days at Twitch TV slash Jim Sterling. And sometimes if you're very lucky, you might see me without my wig on. Um where I show off my lovely hair that some people have said looks a bit like Joan Jett's now. Um, which is all right, so I'm happy with that comparison, actually. It's better than some could have been made. Um, I mean, it's better than back when it looked like Danny fucking DeVito's hair. Like, that's a that's a step up for me. Um, so you can do that. Uh, also, um, I, I think there's a couple tickets left uh, for these shows. Um, May 14th uh, at the Anarchy Brew Co. in Newcastle. Uh, I will be performing as part of North's uh, next home base show. And on May 29th, in Sheffield uh, at the Pursuit Pro Wrestling Training Facility. I train at every week uh, at 90 Effingham Road. Um, North's having its first out-of-town show. I will be at both of those. Ooh. Tickets available at northwrestling.co.uk. Um, if you can get there, do come by. I hang out with fans after the show. All of the talent there is incredible. North puts on a, a terrific show and I wrestle. And I'm not bad at it. So, yeah, uh, do come by. Uh, and if you don't, or if you do, it doesn't matter, because next week we'll be here again with another podcast. So until then, we'll see you then. Bye. Bye. Bye.